Welcome to Taking Care of Lady Business, where we put the business back in lady business. Hosted by Jennifer Justice, founder and CEO of the Justice Department, a management strategy and law firm that works with female and woke male entrepreneurs, executives, talent, brands, and creatives to build and maximize their wealth, focusing in the areas of tech, consumer product, finance, media, entertainment, and fashion. Jennifer interviews entrepreneurial women who have done it all, who will be sharing their secrets on all things business, especially as a woman. These highly successful women will share strategies and insights, including what not to do and what it takes to win. And now, here's your host, Jennifer Justice. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Taking Care of Lady Business. I'm Jennifer Justice. Today, we have Erin Ehrenberg. She is the CEO and founder of Totem Women and the executive director for the Chamber of Mothers. Hi, Erin. Hi, JJ. Glad to be with you. Glad to be with you after our tons of technical errors. So, so we made it. We took care of We ladies. made it. <laughs> we made it. Who knew? I would, you know, I could figure it out. Um, it's so great to talk to you today. You're doing so much for women, gender equality, women in the workplace, mothers, etc. Yeah. So obviously a woman after my own heart and speaking my language, um, all of the above, walking the talk, all the other cliches that we can use. Um, and so I'm excited for the audience to hear what you're doing and why. So let's start a little bit with, you know, what is Totem Women and Chamber of Mothers? Okay, thank you. I'm psyched to be here and to have you call me a woman after your own heart. That's going to sit with me and lift me up for the next couple of weeks. Thank you for saying that. Um, So totem women, totem means whole in Latin. And I founded totem a few years after having our first baby. I had our first baby in 2012. And at the time I was very senior at a company called Indiegogo. They were the very first crowdfunding company. I had built them up from, you know, I joined right after the first three founders and we went through series A and series B. And then I became a mom and I felt like I just couldn't unsee the world through the lens of a woman who had become a mother, particularly from the standpoint that there was zero cultural acknowledgement of this massive transition that a woman goes through when she becomes a mother in her body and her mind with regard to her relationships, with regard to her ambition. And I think so many women sort of white knuckle it through that. And there weren't a lot of conversations around it, especially in 2012. And as somebody who, you know, I've learned about myself that when I face a problem, I look around and see if Others are facing it. And if that's the truth, I want to fix it for all of us. And so that's when the seed of totem sort of was um, planted in me in 2012. But I stayed at Indiegogo. I ran business development for them and I ran business affairs. Um, And then I um, decided to that I was going to be a full time mom. And that lasted two months. And I was hired by WME to help them learn about uh, non-traditional fundraising for film and creative projects. And during that time, I kept thinking, I've got to go back to this notion that I want to do more for women who've become mothers. And I say it, I phrase it that way, JJ, because I did it. It wasn't just about the way motherhood is branded or, you know, taking care of infants. I wanted to really center 
the woman and what she is going through and where she sits in culture and expectations. And so finally in 2017 started Totem Women. It really started out as a consumer business where I uh, launched lactation cookie, a cookie that would help you um, create more breast milk because that was actually the first very specific problem I solved for myself. When I went back to work, I cookie, a cookie. Isn't that so weird? Yeah. Does it still exist? It's well, I stopped doing that in 2021. It still exists. We have the mix. It's now with a co-packer, but I don't do that anymore. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you why. So it started with a lactation cookie. Then it turned into a mix. I wanted to help women solve the first problem that I had solved for myself, which was like, how do I work and be in an office and keep my milk supply up when I'm a working mom? I'd figure that out through this cookie of of all things. And it really worked. and It was great. And my husband's uncle who lives in San Francisco had worked at Mrs. Fields and he was the COO there. So we made it together. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Amazing. So I was selling the cookie. I was doing great events at the time I, I lived in LA and there were a lot of women in this ecosystem. I was in this ecosystem of pelvic floor specialists and postpartum doulas and Erica Cohen um, had just, or Erica Chitty now had just started the loom. And so we were doing a lot together, a lot of supported events, et cetera, and so on. Long story short. Is this while you're still working at WME? No. So I I went from WME. I then was recruited out by a company called Omaze that puts together once in a lifetime experiences with celebrities and brands and offers the funds for that off to charity. So I was always at the intersection of entertainment, tech, and cause. I had run a nonprofit in the music industry. That's what took me to LA after practicing music law. So I started this. I left Omaze to start this, and I was having a great time doing it. We moved across the country in 2018 for family reasons, better lifestyle for our family, et cetera. But it was a really tough time to leave having just started that business. Again, this ecosystem in LA of other moms that got it and understood it was really supportive. And I loved the notion of being whole. That's why I chose that term totem whole, because I'm so tired. I think like balance is bullshit. It's it, it implies perfectionism that there's one right way to do this. Yeah, it's like true. the idea of like, you get to choose your whole, like you, JJ, have a set of values that are your own. And that's your specific blueprint around the way you want to go about your life. And I have my own and we get to define that. Like that yeah. is what it means to have a whole existence. And that's what I want for women. So worked on Totem. I was doing that. It's changed and gone in a lot of different directions based on where I've been, what's happened with our family. I now have three kids. And the beauty of being an entrepreneur is that I could do that. I could listen to moms and what they were needing. I mean, during the pandemic, basically all I did was offer talks with experts from all different spaces, whether it be money um, or your body or you know different authors. We would have book clubs with the author because women were just alone and isolated. And so I was trying to meet them where they were. Mm-hmm. Well, in 2021, uh, I was starting to be tapped by advocacy groups like Paid Leave US and Paid Leave for All 
who really wanted access to my platform. I have all these sort of consumer mothers and they were saying, look, we are so close in this fight for paid leave, closer than we've ever been before. Are you willing to let me come on your Instagram or in, or talk about paid leave more? And of course I was. And it was really through that work that I found what I believe is my actual calling. I, I feel like I've gone through life sort of going in directions that were presented to me that felt right, but it never was like the exact thing I wanted to be doing until I co-founded the Chamber of Mothers. And that came about in November of 2021. It turned out that there were a number of us who run these motherhood platforms that were mostly consumer-based. And we were all in this advocacy fight. And it felt like we as women were rolling up our sleeves. And in this amazing fight together, we put together a Slack channel. We're hearing from the advocacy groups like, you know, Kristen Rowe Finkbeiner and Don Hucklebridge, all these amazing women leading advocacy. And they were telling us in real time, okay, so these two Congress people and Biden and Harris just went in a room and here's what they came out and said, can you go message that out to your communities and help leverage them in this fight? And so a number of us who run these communities, we were talking one night and it was one of those sort of asynchronous, you know, a couple on text, a couple on DM. I was on the phone with one of them. Yeah. We were like, you know what? There are so many of us working on these issues and one by one, it feels like throwing pebbles at this massive problem. Yeah. What if we were to be smarter and all come together and instead of centering any of our platforms or us as individuals, let's look at the model of the Chamber of Commerce and the AARP and even like the terrible NRA. They know that when there's a shared interest, you can pool money, you can pull voting power, you can pull voice, you can pull influence. And we mm-hmm. wanted to do that for mothers, particularly yeah. that consumer mother, that everyday mother that maybe doesn't keep up with what's happening in D.C. Because a lot of the terminology coming out of D.C. is intentionally obfuscating. And so we decided let's let's come together. And in a day, we found an artist to create bespoke artwork for us. Um, And we launched a social media campaign that came from the moment when we were told by advocacy groups, hey, we need to celebrate this. It's a paid leave now has gone from 12 weeks to four. But don't be upset. We need to celebrate four weeks because we'll take what we can get. And I was standing in my laundry room. folding. Oh, my God. I said, hold on a second. I remember how FMLA passed. We have a janky 12 weeks not founded in any data at all. We need way more than 12 weeks. And that was meant to be a placeholder. And now it's precedent. That's what states look at. That's what the federal government has looked at. Over my dead body, are we going to celebrate four weeks? And I, I just said, you know, that the, initially, you know, the bill had been the, the family rescue plan that it was um, railroaded into build back better. So I said out loud, I'm not going to build back bleeding. And we were like, ooh, that's a hashtag. So we went to all of our communities online and asked women, what tell us about what was going on for you at four weeks postpartum. And yeah. women were saying, yeah, I mean, we were hearing from people like, you know, 
JJ, you and I work now from a place of privilege where we're at our computers and we can at least sit down and it's still a juggle and it's still too much. We were hearing from women who were saying, I work in a fulfillment center. I was bleeding through my jeans at four weeks postpartum because I had to go back to work. I pick vegetables and fruit in a field. I had to leave my child, my baby with an older child because I don't have childcare. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know what? This has to stop. And so we quickly aligned, we came together, there are eight of us as co-founders. And in April of that year, we formed a nonprofit and we've just been sustaining this work. It's just so, to me, I mean, there's so much to unpack in all of this. First of all, the fact that it has to be a nonprofit is ridiculous, right? And it's like the only way eight of you came together, we should be doing that in business too. There's a lot of women competing with each other. They, everyone should merge together. And again, your business is going to be worth a lot more if you do that. Right. Um, But you know, the fact that we have to form a nonprofit to fight for something that, that really affects a hundred percent of the people is crazy. And that we're the last, like, last nation that has like what are the three countries there's three countries without paid leave or something isn't it like like malaysia i mean we're one of the very few we're certainly the only wealthy industrialized nation without paid leave and no it's reprehensible it's it's our moral imperative to provide a leave structure and i i just saw something online today talking about how senators have paid leave. They take leave, but we don't have federal paid leave. And they're the ones fighting against it. But I will tell you also something I've learned in this fight that I didn't know before that one of my co-founders, Daphne Delvo, who's also an attorney, she's a litigator, an employment litigator in San Diego. And she said right off the jump, and we've just learned this to be true over and over. One of the biggest organizations standing in the middle of um, paid leave and success is uh, the Chamber of Commerce, and they have paid leave on their job killer list. And so they are, you know, an an affinity group, but they're also a big lobby organization. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's one of these things where there's this misunderstanding that if we pay, we offer federal paid leave, that that's going to be bad for the economy. And the truth of the matter is, it's not. When you pay for someone to be working at home, because by the way, we all know it's not a vacation when you're out caring for children, or by the way, your parents, when they get ill, or yourself when you're ill, it's not a vacation. You're there because you need to. And for children, it's infrastructure. It's like, well, who's going to hold the baby? So what's funny to me is that, you know, we have people saying that they're pro-life, and yet they're anti-paid leave. So they don't want to provide some safety net for either parent to take care of the child. And they also don't want to make affordable childcare accessible. So Mm -hmm. how does that work? Where is the pro-life in that? Who's going to hold the baby? It's either going to be one of the parents. And if you want them to contribute to the economy, they're going to need some time to physically recover, to set up a child's sleep schedule, feeding schedule, find childcare, and then go back into the economy and go into it whole so that they can produce the way you want them to produce. Mm -hmm. It just, it makes sense for everybody. And a lot of the polls in terms of popularity, paid leave is enormously popular, but it seems to have sort of this reputation for some reason among some lawmakers that we, we just can't get it passed so far. 
I mean, so God, it's just so depressing, you know, yeah. the fact that we even have to have these conversations or the fact that you all have to like, you know, spend time doing this. And, and even in the pay, like the organizations that were meant to be doing this on our behalf are like, yeah, four weeks is great. Now you start with four weeks and that's all we're ever going to get. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, we know that as lawyers, I think that's what hit me and what hit Daphne. We understand how these placeholders become precedent because people just want a shortcut and they're like, Oh, okay. That's it's unacceptable. I mean, South Carolina passed three weeks and everybody was really excited about that. And to me, it's, Well, I mean, I think this all boils down to, including with Roe, et cetera, is that for some reason in this country, women are second class citizens and we and nobody wants us to not be to be equal to men. Right. That article, I'm sure you read it uh, in The New York Times about menopause. There was a line there that said, as a society, we have come to believe that women we're okay with women suffering. We're just okay with women suffering. And it it made me think of, you know, everything from our periods to childbirth, to reproductive freedom, to menopause. And you know what I think about though, JJ? Rape culture, to sexism, to... All of it. Yeah, all all of it. And even aging, like the way we're supposed to look when we're 55. It it requires like so much. And it's just all absurd. And the thing that I think about a lot though, because I really try in all ways in life not to have a victim mentality. And by the way, it's very hard to do with all of this because the truth of the matter is we're in crappy systems as women. We just are. Mm -hmm. But what I think about is like, what's my complicity in it? What are the ways in which I show up throughout the day that I'm complicit? How am I you know, what are some of the institutionalized kind of like toxic lies that I've taken in and how can I be better about that? You know, Mm -hmm. one thing that comes to mind is like just the way we treat each other as women. Like there's this notion that there's one seat at the table. And so we sort of tend to elbow one another out. Like, why is that? How can we get through that? Um, And so that's something I think about a lot is like, where is my own complicity? Where is my own responsibility? To create something that I listened to recently was like, we're all working from a a crappy first draft. And so as women, we have to give one another a lot of grace, but how can we reimagine and stay, keep that, that sort of vision of a better draft present in our minds and kind of live into that? Yeah. I mean, I, one of the biggest ones too is, are we kind of, how are we complicit in allowing the patriarchy and you know, to continue to treat us like this, right? So it's half of us, it's half the patriarchy. That's the reason, you know. But also, as Ibrodsky pointed out in Fair Play, like, why are we letting men getting get away with this? Why are we letting our partners get away with it? Why are we the ones showing up at the Women's March and Reproductive March? Why aren't the boys, like my son has to go to all of these marches. Absolutely. Why aren't the fathers? Why aren't the husbands? You know, we just go and say, we went to this march. How was the march, honey? Why aren't they the ones doing this? That's one of the biggest ways that we're complicit is not is holding each other up to a standard. We do not hold up to men and our our sons and our brothers and our fathers and our husbands. I agree with let them get away with being okay with how it is, because they're the ones in power and they're the ones who can make a change. I 100% agree. And as somebody who rages against that on a daily basis, it's exhausting. I yeah. mean, it's exhausting to try to 
you don't want to, it's sort of, there's an intersectionality with what's happened with sort of the discussions around race. Like it's constantly women teaching and doing the work around why this is not right. Why it should be different. I mean, just last night, my husband and I had a a big falling out around unpaid invisible work. And I really lost my temper. And I was like, you know, I didn't, I didn't go to Duke and then go to law school to be the one that's always taking the trash out and emptying the dishwasher and thinking of the 50 million things that need to be done before bedtime. And like, and I think that we're in a moment right now, culturally, where you hear a lot of, against your point, you hear a lot of women talking about, as Eve calls, the toxic time messages and these messages that we have, you know, that we have to shatter around invisible labor and being the default parent and all of that. But it's exhausting to have to explain that. I I mean, I wish more men were enrolled in this and just sort of looking around. It's not hard to look around. If you see your wife racing around the house and you're standing there just like thinking about your thoughts, like, wake up. You know, they do come about it. Honestly, I have to say having a boy and a girl as a twin, yeah. just like, oh, my God, you really think that that is folding? Yeah, you know what I mean? I, I had a boy. Yeah. My but, boyfriend in law school, you know, we went to Cornell Law School. It's a very difficult law school to get in. And we were living together at the time. And, you know, he was doing the dishes. And whenever he did it, it was just gross. It was disgusting. It was like you didn't want to eat off the dishes. And then he would be like, well, I'm just not very good at it. I said, oh, OK, so you can get into law law school, which is really, really difficult. And only 1% of the population of the people who even apply get in, but you can't wash a dish. I said, Oh, that's really sad. Do you realize? And he was like, next thing you know, those dishes were clean after that. Cause I was like, I was like, that's pathetic. It is pathetic. And and they don't don't like it. it. You think I like it? You think I like it? hundred percent. I can't wait for the one day a week, my housekeeper comes. So I don't have to put away the dishes or clean them or the laundry. Like, I'm right I can't wait. I'm right there with you. And I, and ours is here now and I'm overjoyed, but you know, and this is where I think about complicity too, though, for me is that I keep doing this stuff yeah. because I, I want it to be done. And so I have that conversation and yet when it's not done, I still do it. And mm-hmm. I just wonder what if we didn't? And, you know, the idea of dividing it all up, I really do like that. But I also find that most women are doing that work of saying, like, let's have a family meeting and divide up this yeah, stuff. I true. just really want men to pay attention. And I'll tell you, I've gone too far the other way. We have two boys and a girl in the middle. And our eldest is 10. He's a boy. He does everything. Like, to the point that the other day, he was like, you know, it's really not fair. Arabella does nothing. I do all the chores. And I was like, yeah, it's true. I have to say you're right about that. And I'm glad that you contribute about that around the house and that you understand that, you know, providing is not just going out and making money. It's like you're working yeah. in the house. This is a life. We're building a life. And he's just sort of like, okay, whatever. I'm just tired of taking out the trash. oh my god all right so um so this is what so chamber of mothers what do you guys do on a day-to-day basis then oh my goodness so many things and so this is kind of a it's a great transition because what we all started to realize in founding this organization is that there was a lot going on on sort of the individual level. And there was a lot, there is a lot going on. There's a lot in the zeitgeist around 
freeing women from unpaid labor and freeing women from the idea that they have to hold all of the, you know, unpaid mental and emotional load. But what's happening at a systemic level, right? So the, all of that, it's all very worthwhile conversation. But what we all want to do is to, to switch the systems because women start to get this feeling that, you know, if I'm burnt out, if I'm exhausted, if I feel insecure and I've sort of lost my moxie because I'm buried in all this unpaid labor I'm suddenly doing, you know, it, it's hard to sort of free her from that when she's in a system that continues to tell her that like your health doesn't matter. And, you know, childcare is something you're just going to have to figure out on your own. And you're going to have to figure out how to work like you don't have kids and mother like you don't work. That's and so those three things are our three pillars, federal paid medical and family leave. Number one, access to quality, affordable childcare. Number two, and improved maternal health comes. Number three, those are our three pillars of advocacy. And so what we're doing is really threefold, I would say. Number one is we, so we are, we talked about a nonprofit and how it's imperfect. And I couldn't agree with you more. We are set up as a C3, which means that we can do issue advocacy, but we're not a lobby firm. And there's reasons for that, which I won't to the granularity there, but we are able to lobby with a certain percentage of our time. We were just signed by this amazing firm in DC called Kroll. We are a pro bono client of theirs, and you'll be delighted to hear that there are several men on our team working pro bono for us. Mm-hmm. And we just had a Zoom with them yesterday, and they're really excited and fired up about what we're doing. And so we have an advocacy blueprint with them where we're doing between now and August uh, at least three fly-ins around legislation that is connected to our three pillars of advocacy. So we're going to fly in, prepare ourselves to speak with key Congress people on a bipartisan basis to win them over on key pieces of legislation that will impact these three pillars. Um, so that's number one. Number two is our local chapters. And so when we were building the Chamber of Mothers, we were faced with something that's that's difficult and it continues to be difficult, which is representing mothers' experience across the country because, of course, we have a lot in common and we're not a monolith. And a Black mom in America is facing a lot harder path than I am. And, you know, we've looked at all the research from the CDC and the Health and Human Services, and it's really Native Americans and Pacific Islanders and Black. Those Groups of women are most disproportionately harmed. Their health is most at risk in this country. And so we want to build out a leadership team that's representative of those women because we can't go and fight for them if we don't know exactly what their pain points are. And so as we build that leadership team, we're also in conversation around the country through our local chapters with all sorts of women from all walks of life. And so our goal is by 2024 to be in all 50 states. We're now in 15 states and we just started uh, this year. We have a great brand sponsorship from Bobby, the formula company. And so we've rolled out into 15 states and our programming is really around advocacy. It's equipping mothers to understand advocacy, to know their style of advocacy, to help them sustain advocacy because it's, much better sustained in community rather than solitude. And so 
that is huge for us. So the community aspect, the advocacy aspect, and then culturally, there's a lot that our team can do in terms of creative communication. And with that, we work with some brand partners so that we're able to shift the cultural narrative around who is a mother, what is her role, and we're excited about all of it. It's a ton of work. We mm-hmm. meet every other Tuesday on Zoom for it's we have like a leadership meeting for a half an hour and then an all hands for another hour. And there are eight of us uh that co-founded this, but there are now about 20 women that join us in that all hands. And I've just been so impressed with the output and all that we're doing. And so what about totem women? Are you still doing that? I'm doing it, but less. I mean, I'll tell you, I really feel like the reason that I founded Totem was for this and Totem has its function. I mean, I stopped selling the cookies. I told you that I, without, you know, really going deep into this, our son, our oldest um, was diagnosed with type one diabetes in May of 2020. And it really, it was very, very hard. We don't have any family history. That's when we first met. You told me this. Yeah, we did. You were super, super kind about all of that. Um, Yeah, we don't have family history. And so it was really scary. And I, I think as a parent, you have sort of this ticker tape of your worries about the things that could happen to your kid. This was, I had what never imagined this would happen. So that greatly impacted all of our time, our priorities. And so I had to get really strategic about where I spend my time. And Mm -hmm. for Totem to be a CPG business, it would need to be heavily capitalized. And I was bootstrapping it. And so I decided I sold off all the cookies that we were selling at the time. And it's something that I've sort of tabled. I mean, one day it's something I... I might want to sell to the right business. You know, we have an amazing recipe. I own all the IP around that, all the distribution, but it's just on hold. I still run Totem in terms of the community and the social platform. Um, But that for me is a way to be in conversation with moms. It's, It's how I hear what's, modern moms are going through. What's their car? What are their current biggest pain points? What are their joys? Because it changes. Um, And so that helps inform what I do through the chamber. And I also maintain uh, an IP practice. So it's a lot. And yeah, because you all are doing full-time jobs, right? You're not paying for this. Exactly. We're doing full-time jobs. We don't want that to last forever. I'll tell you what's been fascinating is that our um, the lowest hanging fruit in terms of funding for us has been brands. Brands, I think, immediately get what we're doing and they understand um, the value of the reach that we have. I mean, we reach 2.8 million mothers together. And so brands have been really generous and really supportive. I think it's one of those things in the nonprofit space it's chicken and egg where a big fund like a Ford foundation is waiting for you to be in existence for a number of years and to already pay your staff in order to fund you. But how do you get there? And so this is what I was saying before, where it's tricky having diverse representation on the leadership team because of systemic racism and systemic poverty. There are, it's really hard for a lot of women who don't look like me to be able to spend unpaid time building a nonprofit, doing this volunteer work. And so 
the, it's, going it's back really- to unpaid time. It's like, that's all we do. I mean, I have many um, quotes, you know, I say this all the time. I, I think that charity is a, you know, nonprofits, you know, white men, middle-aged and above men should be running them all, you know, yeah. because that most, they all have to be started because of white men's greed for the most part. Like, you know, <laughs> If I were to like address that, I would say they should be funding them all because funding. there's a lot of leadership that can happen. So, and I, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. True funding. Right? Yes, yeah. exactly. They should be funding all of it. Mm-hmm. And then, but you know, if we can build our own system and major our system, we will put these things in place. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. it's the only way to prove me wrong on that is for it to be happen, you know, and I truly believe it. And I truly believe if women were had 50% of the capital in this country and equity in this world, in this country, it would be in a much better situation Absolutely. in all of those areas, you know, Absolutely. in menopause where only 10% of gynos are trained in menopause. Do you know that 10%? Yes, I, I do. Yeah. It, it's, That's insane. It's insane. It's frightening. <laughs> it's the same with pelvic health in general. Yeah. And you think yeah. about all the, the pelvic health scenarios that present themselves to OBGYNs and they don't have training in that and they have 15 minutes. And again, that's systemic, but I love what you said. And I feel like we should issue a challenge to everyone listening. If you're a man and you're listening to this, you should talk to us about funding our work to make things better for mothers across the mm-hmm. country. You know, yeah. you had a mother and if you are a parent, you are with the mother and you see what she does and who she is to the family. And we are sorely hurting and we are willing to do the work. We're capable of doing the work. We're fiercely intelligent and we need funding. And so if this is something you care about, you should reach out about funding us and we're happy to amplify you. Amazing. Well, let's hope there's a man uh, listening to this. (laughs) I know <laughs> the podcast called taking care of lady business. Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe it's make your, have your husband from, listen. Like, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I love it. Um, so when you're, co- when you're building this out and you're saying brands are, are funding you, what does that mean exactly? So we have a menu of brand deals that we can do. It can look everything from look like everything from um, building, helping build a brand's social impact strategy where mothers are concerned to, you know, Bobby funded our local chapters because they have like a lot of companies, um, social impact arms, or, you know, they specifically have a a social impact arm called Bobby for Change. And what Laura Modi, who's their amazing CEO, had said at our kickoff meeting was that, when she started Bobby, yes, it's a formula company solving one specific problem, but her goal was to really change the way things are for mothers in our country. And she saw us doing the work that she wanted to do. And so I think for a lot of brands, we can be those boots on the ground, for lack of a better analogy, to help them carry out some of the initiatives that they intend to carry out, but they've got to meet their bottom line. And yeah. so- we can sort of be an outsourced social impact strategy um, for women's and mothers' issues. And that looks a lot of different ways. It can look like funding our local chapter meetings. It can look like sponsoring the all-hands meeting we want to have in Atlanta in September. It can look like us coming in and sense-checking what you're doing around social impact. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. And then so, but what about like, can anybody that's listening here fund? You have a page that you can donate, et cetera. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yep. And we have a really big campaign going on 
around Mother's Day where the funds will be matched. Um, and it's just a time when people are thinking like, well, what can I do for moms? This is what you can do for moms. You can fix the system. I mean, we went out to just our leadership team and just for an email, we said, what does everybody want for Mother's Day? I mean, it was like 90% of women asked for a hotel without anybody else present. We're just yeah. exhausted. It's just silence. Yeah, we're just exhausted. Silence. So, you know, fund our work so we fix the system because we we don't want to live exhausted. It's no way to live. No, it is. Yeah. I've never known exhaustion until I had children. Um, so uh, thank you for this. And, you know, I know that we started late, so I know I have to let you go. But, um, you know, the one thing that I ask every woman on here is what is the worst advice you've ever received? It's really a doozy. It is. I had a minister quote back to me when I told him that I didn't want to marry the person who I was about to head down the aisle with. He said back to me, the Bible says the heart is desperately wicked. Who can trust it? And that is such insidious, nefarious advice, because especially for a woman, I think we're told to have this distanced relationship with our body. And it's so sad when that happens, um, when we don't realize that our instincts and our heart and our intention is there for us and, and move through life from a sense of confidence and a sense of inner knowing there's nothing worse. And when you look at, you know, all the eating disorders and what we do to ourselves to try to feel like we stay pretty and tidy and convenient for the world, what awful advice. And I actually listened to him. I'm embarrassed to say, and it ended in divorce. It was a terrible marriage, but I think the biggest learning I got from it was never, ever to do that and to do the opposite. That was a crazy line you just said, how we're trained to what divorce ourselves from our bodies. What did you say to separate separate ourselves? I forget the the word I used, but yeah, just this train training that our bodies are not for us and that we're separate from our bodies and our bodies are, they serve a function that, you know, to please others, the, the way they look and the way they age and the things that we eat. And the fact is, if you go back to that notion of being whole, it's being connected. It's understanding who you are and understanding all the parts of you and integrating them. Um, Mm -hmm. Who knows? I mean, I just thought of now, like maybe that's why I've been on such a mission too, to help women be whole, because I think when we are, everything changes. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Because you think about blaming yourself when you get raped or, you know, was I wearing something? Oh my God. Wow. We could go into a whole other podcast. I know I have to let you go. If people want to find you in chamber of mothers and totem women, how do they do that? Okay. So at chamber of mothers, just the way it sounds chamber of mothers, that's us on Instagram. It's chamberofmothers.com online totem women. It's T O T U M women. That's at Totem Women on Instagram. Um, But we would love for you to join the Chamber of Mothers. We would love for you to consider being involved in a local chapter because we want to hear your voice and for you to be a part of making change. Amazing. Thank you so much for showing up today. Thank you for everyone listening. Until next time, I'm Jennifer Justice.